Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege of gathering together in worship. Uh, we ask that you would open our ears to he really hear your word this morning and give us strength of wills to follow through in, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. What, a, what wonderful worship there was this morning, such uh, exuberance, and, and um, it was absolutely beautiful. And why not? It's the Easter season, the risen Lord Jesus is with us, and it is just out of gratitude and thanks that we offer God our worship. Uh, I was in town on Friday uh, afternoon at a meeting with a heritage advisor at the city council, and after the meeting, as I walked back to the car, I encountered a large group of high school students with placards streaming into town for the school strike for climate demonstration. And two feelings arose within me. A feeling of anxiety that this large group of students might verbally harangue me for being one of the baby boomer generation who mucked up the entire environment. But there was another feeling, a feeling of admiration that these young people were on a mission that was really important. They didn't have to be there. There could have been something more enjoyable uh, in their afternoon. But they were there defending the principle that we should become better stewards of the earth. And I admired them because they were prepared to sacrifice their own needs for the more important vision of a sustainable planet. And I think the same sort of tension between our private desires and amusements as opposed to some greater and more universal mission is at play on the evening of the first Easter day. What do I mean? Well, let's not pretend that Easter is a sideshow or a subplot to our human existence. We're here this morning as Christian people because the Easter story is so important that it must be utterly central to our lives. In fact, the world and the whole universe, it's that important. But the challenge is, how then does it fit within our lives? You know, we've got mortgages, haven't we? We've got families, we've got groups and clubs and interests. But if the resurrection of Jesus took place, how then should we reorder our lives in the light of this astounding news. Should we join the mission with our whole hearts or should we try and avoid too much engagement because, well, it could demand just a little bit too much. So my question this morning, which I'll repeat a number of times, as the Father sent Jesus, will you be sent? John chapter 20, which we've just heard, describes what happened on the evening of Easter day. You'll recall that early on that day, Mary Magdalene and the other woman had gone to the tomb of Jesus and found that it was empty. Mary then went to Peter and John and told them this disturbing news. They, in turn, ran to the tomb and found it as exactly as Mary had described, and they went away. Then Mary encountered the risen Lord, and they spoke together. She went back to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. She became the apostle to the apostles, the most important witness to the resurrected Lord. And then in the evening, the disciples met behind closed doors, which where our, where our reading picked up. Historian, I'm trying to help us get to some feelings now. So if you've got a feeling switch in your mind, switch it to that. Historian Tom Holland 
tells of the time he was in a bombed-out Iraqi city, just a few kilometres from where ISIS gunmen were, and he knew that they had done unspeakable things to Christians. And he reported that he felt a knot of fear in his stomach when he imagined that these terrorists were just over there and they were capable of doing exactly the same to him. That's what it was like for the followers of Jesus because there was a familiar pattern here. When the Romans caught up with a would-be Messiah and in the century before Jesus and the century after Jesus, there were quite a number of these situations that took place. When the Romans caught up with him, he was dealt with in the usual way. We all know, I don't have to explain that. But then, you see, his followers would be rounded up for the same treatment. So that night, you must imagine the disciples looking furtively around, all experiencing a pit of the stomach dread as they listened for noises in the street and a knock on the door and a sign that they would be next. In verse 19, it says that in spite of the barricades, Jesus came and stood among them. And the very first thing he said, this first things and last things are always important, aren't they? The first thing Jesus said to them was, peace be with you. And a few verses later, he repeated the same greeting, peace be with you. And it's obvious why. The disciples almost beside themselves with fear. Of course, they needed reassurance from Jesus, and Jesus met them at their point of need. Peace be with Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Peace be with you. And these first words of the risen Jesus to the disciples are linked to the last words of Jesus on the cross, which were, it is finished. His atoning work on the cross was complete. Reconciliation with God had been achieved, and so peace had been secured. So this is not just about the absence of conflict. It's not just about the pit of the stomach fear. It went much deeper to repairing our inner estrangement from God. Peace be with you. And of course, the the Hebrew word behind that word peace is not just the absence of conflict. It's the deep sense of well-being when we are at one with God and one another. Peace be with you. Now, all these words of the risen Jesus are very important. The peace that Jesus pronounced is followed by, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then Jesus breathed on them and said some more important words, receive the Holy Spirit. Think about these words, because each phrase is important. So first of all, look more closely at the words, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. It is most significant that immediately following the peace, Jesus imparts, that Jesus imparts to his disciples, he sends them out. So it's a twofold movement. First, the peace of God comes in, and then he sends the disciples out in mission. Um, peace in, mission out. No sitting on your hands, no wallowing in the peace. Somehow the peace is part of the action. The being and the doing are all kind of interlinked. But there's more here. The Greek phrase, as the Father has sent me, 
is in the perfect tense and so has to do with a completed past action that has continuing effects in the future and the present. The second phrase, so I send you, is in the present tense. In other words, which is often translated using the participle, I am sending you. Therefore, the mission that Jesus has in mind is not two separate missions. You know, the Father sending the Son, draw a line under that, and then send the church out in mission. Rather, it's a single mission having two phases. The great movement of the missionary heart of God is to send his son into the world. Initially, he was born, ministered, died, and rose again. And then through the ministry of the church, all those who follow Christ are part of God's great missionary endeavor toward the whole creation. The mission of God is carried forward through us, his hands, his feet, his lips, and our mission is of the same peace as the mission of Jesus. It is the same mission. So there's no such thing as just popping along to church on Sundays. Somehow the scriptures is painting a much broader and deeper and more important picture than that. It's, it's not about, or oh, let's do an outreach mission or something like that. All these things are integrated with the mission of God to the world, first through Jesus, then through us. We should never use the word just or only when we're talking about these matters. So, I put the question, as the Father sent Jesus, will you be sent? Now, the second thing to notice about the mission has to do with its oval shape and style. Listen carefully. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Is that a simile? You know, using English terms. I think it is. It's a simile. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. There's a deliberate comparison being set up between the mission of Jesus and our mission. The first and most obvious dimension about Jesus' mission is that it was costly. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal word, took on flesh and became a human being. Paul, in quoting a very early Christian hymn, says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. The whole of Jesus' life, the shape of the sending, was one of costly service. Jesus humbled himself and served people. He humbled himself and obeyed God's call on his life. The mission that we have from God involves costly service, just like Jesus. It involves giving up some things that we might want to keep, and it involves taking up other things that we might not want to get involved in. It involves listening to God's call and doing our best to follow. This is the overall shape of our mission. It has a Christ shape about it. And as Jesus reached out to others and was the man for others, so we as a church family are called to be there for others, to stand alongside those who are sick or suffering, to alleviate the needs of the poor as we are able, to be an advocate for justice, 
to be an encouraging word and presence to those who are downhearted or downtrodden, to be salt and light within our community. And so I ask, as the Father sent Jesus, will you be sent? Now, this morning we've looked at the importance and the shape of our mission. Let's look finally at the main resource of the mission. Because there's an amazing sequence here, and those three little phrases, they kind of follow on one from the next. First of all, when we come to Christ, we experience a deep peace with God. Secondly, as Jesus was sent by the Father, so we are sent out in mission to the world. And thirdly, we are equipped for this work by the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we have peace peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you and receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would, of course, come on the whole church on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. But here is the foretaste of that as Jesus equips his disciples for mission. We cannot do this alone. It's just too hard. I see no actual nods, but I suspect there's some interior nods going on. Being a Christian, being part of a church is hard. Does God really expect the mission of our church to be like that of Jesus? The answer is, of course, yes, he does. But what he calls us to, he also equips us for through the Spirit. I said earlier that the mission of God, the the Missio Dei, is one movement in two parts. First, Jesus is sent, and then we are gathered into his family, and we are sent out as well. One movement, two parts. But here's the thing. Because we are the body of Christ in the world, we are filled with his risen power by the Spirit to act and to speak and to be Christ in the world. And think about this. As Jesus said those words, receive the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He breathed on them. So you see, the Holy Spirit is the life breath of the risen and exalted Jesus. We ought to ask God to continually fill us with his Holy Spirit. We sometimes get all busy. We forget to do that. I know I do. But we cannot achieve anything unless the Spirit is with us. Because only the Holy Spirit can enable us to follow Jesus and to obey his calling. So I ask again, as the Father sent Jesus, will you be sent? I began with an image of students joining in a protest march. And you have a choice. You can look on as an observer, or you can join in as an active participant. Christianity is a bit like that. It's a movement, it's a vision, it's a mission. And you can choose to look at it from the outside and even applaud those who are very committed and involved and even respect and encourage them in what they do. Or you can choose to get involved yourself because the mission is that important. We do have peace with God. We do have a mission. And we do have the resources. Now think about this question. As the Father sent Jesus, will you be sent? 
I asked right at the beginning how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to fit in with our lives. You probably did an interior shock just then because it was a deliberately false question. Because the more important question is, how are we to fit in with the good news, the astounding new state of affairs, the new world that the resurrection has ushered in? As the Father has sent Jesus, will you be sent? Now, I'm not saying that just because I'm going away for three months. And I want you all to get busy while I'm away. It's not about that. It's about the deep peace of God, the fact that we are called into his mission, and he resources us and is more than adequate for what he calls us to do. Amen.